0: put it on do not disturb so that no one else would disturb me. And then you could not disturb me. So it's all good.
1: Today's guest is Melissa Hartwig, co-founder of the Whole30 program. She's the author of the book, It Starts With Food, and most recently, Whole30 Day by Day. I have a lot to thank Melissa Hartwig for. I did a Whole30 back in 2013, way back in 2013. It feels like forever ago. And it really did change a lot of the way that I have looked at food now and um, how I will always look at food going forward because it taught me so many things about myself, my relationship with food, my intolerances, my sensitivities. But more than that, I learned the impact of food on my emotions and the impact of my emotions on what I put in my body. So Whole30, many of you guys know, know it very well, but if you don't, you'll get the gist of it during this episode. But Melissa and I came together to have this episode because of an Instagram post, and we talk about it um, in that episode, and I think it's a really good dialogue that we have. So hope you all enjoy this episode with Melissa Hartwig. Welcome to the Same 24 Hours podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day. And it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Atwood. Today's guest is Melissa Hartwig. Hi, Melissa.
0: Hi, welcome. Uh, well, I'm welcoming myself, but <laughs> <Welcome> I'm very- <laughs> yourself.
1: <laughs> you go right I mean... ahead. Very happy to be here. Well, thank you so much for making time. I will tell you, I I really owe a lot to you for Whole30. Back in 2013, I did a couple rounds of it, and it really changed my perspective with food. So thank you so much for everything oh. that you do. Well, let's talk a little bit about how you and I came to be on this podcast, because I think yeah. we should definitely do that. So tell me about your post, and then I'll tell you about my post.
0: yeah. <laughs> So I put this, you know, I talk a lot about fitness and motivation and self love. And I talk a lot about this culture of like motivation and, and sort of hustle, whether it's entrepreneuring or fitness or, you know, this kind kind of concept of fit inspiration. And I came across this post that kind of inspired it. And basically the post just said, like, we all have the same 24 hours. What's your excuse? Like, Mm -hmm. mic drop, peace out. And that was supposed to be motivating. And I thought, that's a bunch of BS. Like, you cannot responsibly, in an attempt to motivate and inspire and encourage and help other people, just leave them with something like, we all have the same 24 hours. So I wrote this post about how. You know, we don't all have the same 24 hours that when I was going through my divorce and my business split and trying to figure out being a single mom and running a business and taking care of myself, my 24 hours looked a lot different than the 24 hours I have now, now that I'm on the other side and stable and happy. So my the the kind of meat of my post was, if you want to really help people and motivate them and inspire them, you have to provide them with information about how to do what they want to do so it's not just we all have the same 24 hours it's here's what I did when my life was busy and crazy and stressful to take care of myself or here's as a busy single working mom here's how I find 20 minutes in my day Mm -hmm. to move my body in a healthy way like you can't just drop this like work harder get it done figure it out and leave you have to actually give people the tools they need to be successful and you have to do that from a place of empathy
1: Do you remember, and I don't want to call out this person because I couldn't if I tried because I don't remember who it was, but there was this post, it had to be five
0: years ago where- I know exactly what you're talking about. You Mm -hmm. do the super fit mom with the four kids. The mom with like the four kids and she was like, you know, what's What's your your excuse? excuse? Mm
1: -hmm. I remember seeing Uh. that and my kids were, I I can't do the math, but they were you know, little enough for me still to feel the stretch marks. And I was like, you have to be kidding me. And I was training for Ironman at the time. And I was like, that is such bullshit because I am yep. working way harder than she is in the gym and I'm still fat as a manatee. <laughs> and yeah. So it's so yeah. funny. Like, <sighs> you know, when I saw your post and after we chatted, I'm, I totally a thousand percent agree with you. It was just funny because I have this podcast called The Same 24 Hours and everyone's messaging me. They're like, oh, snap. Melissa Hartwig just <laughs> laid it down. I was like, oh, no, there goes my No, and It was funny. No. But you're absolutely right because... The whole time I've been doing whatever I've been doing has been like, hey, man, I was a 250-pound mom of two, you know, doing the commute and the lawyer thing, and here's how I dug out of alcohol addiction. Here's how I managed to get yes. food under control. And you're absolutely right. We technically do have the same 24 hours, but dot, dot, dot. Yes. It's not the same.
0: Yes, and what you're doing with your podcast is exactly what I'm talking about. You are showing people – from a place of personal experience and empathy, how they can get there themselves by providing them with the resources. I think back about that woman's post with that, that and her four kids. And my only thought is you are dropping bullshit motivation like that because you have nothing else to offer or because you are so like unwilling to share your privilege in this area Mm -hmm. because if you were to share your privilege in this area, like, yeah, sure. Like I have four kids. Here's my excuse, but maybe you have a full-time nanny and you work, you have no job or you work from home or, you know, I mean, there are so many areas like that's kind of the post I shared before my 24 hours was all of the areas in which I have so much privilege with my health and fitness. Because if I were just to come on Instagram and say, this is my body and I'm a full-time single mom and this is, you know, my workout and this is what I eat. And like, what's your excuse without sharing all the behind the scenes of both my privilege and like how I got to where I got, I'm a shitty influencer and a shitty motivator. So yeah. I think well, what you're doing is exactly what I was talking about. Yeah. And that you yeah, should that, do.
1: It's so funny. You knew exactly what post I was talking about. The one thing I wanted to say was hello genetics, because she had posted oh. some in the aftermath. She had posted some, you know, well, this is my before picture. And I'm like, you look amazing. <laughs> yeah, like, I'll take your before picture. and, raise Yeah, you, you
0: know? there's just so much more to it. And I don't think that, you know, if your goal is to actually motivate and inspire change, you can't just drop stuff like, you know, if you wanted it, you'd work for it. And like mic drop, that doesn't help yeah. anybody.
1: And I think what is so amazing about what you do, and what so many really solid influencers out there, do is they they tell their story and they share their darkness I mean the fact that you share your story about addiction I mean that is the most powerful thing that that we can do is say you know I've been there and here's how I dug my way out of it and look I'm totally not perfect but I'm alive (laughs) and that's a really big thing because I didn't know that I would be
0: Yeah. And encouraging people to share their stories, to just completely take the stigma out of it. There's no shame in my story. There's no guilt. There's no regret. There's no stigma. Like this is, this is what was in my life. And this is, you know, how I got from there to here.
1: So you mentioned privilege and, and how you have that and I have it as well, but there was a time you didn't. And there was a time that I didn't have as much as I do now. And I still manage to prioritize. Like, how do you help individuals prioritize themselves? Because really, growing in fitness and in health is really just a matter of saying I'm worth it, right? And, and prioritizing yourself.
0: Yeah, it's a matter of saying I'm worth it. And I think that you can do a lot of work with a therapist or Byron Katie's the work or any other kind of form to help yourself understand that. But I also think You have to understand that you are of no good to anyone else, your friends, your family, your community, your household, your job, your church. You are of no good to anyone else unless your cup is full. And I think in today's, especially for people who tend to be obligers or people pleasers and in today's culture, especially of like the working mom who like does it all and has it all, but is giving it all away to like hold up everyone else in her life you have to take care of yourself first. Like if you think about it from a very common sense perspective, you can't pour from an empty cup. But I think you have to actually figure out how to make this work in your own life. And I don't think it means you've got to take one day off a week where you don't do a single errand or chore and you have like this really expensive spa day. Find things in your everyday that are easy and simple and cost effective to implement, but that fill your own cup. The example I use all the time is that I always buy myself flowers. I go to the grocery store and it's like a $3.99 bunch of flowers. It's not Mm -hmm. like I'm buying expensive bouquets, but it makes, it feels like I'm doing something good for myself. It's something pretty. I shouldn't have to wait for someone else to buy me flowers. And they sit on my table for a week and they remind me that like I'm worth something beautiful. And you can find small things like that to fill yourself up and the more full you are, the more you have to give to the people that you love.
1: And what I do is grocery delivery. <laughs> cool. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Great. It, everyone's like, oh, it's so expensive. But I say it is not because one, you don't eat out. Number two, I don't impulse buy when I'm shopping online off of a list and they just bring it to your house. It's amazing. Grocery delivery has changed my yeah. life and I argue it's cheaper than going to the store.
0: <laughs> I think, yes. And you know, when it... it this whole, like we all have the same 24 hours and then saying, but you know, we understand that there's context and I have empathy and we're going to help you. That doesn't, there's also room in this whole discussion that you and I are having in a little bit of tough love, helping people prioritize. For example, people will say, well, I don't, you know, I love reading books, but I don't have time to read. And I'm like, cool. How much time did you spend on your phone kind of scrolling through Instagram last night? If it was more than six minutes, you have time to pull out a book and read for 10 minutes and enjoy your night. So sometimes it's a little bit of in this tone of like empathy and sharing your own experience. How can I help you also find a different way to prioritize so that the things that you say are important are actually getting done?
1: Right. Especially when someone verbalizes, you know, they're stuck. They're in this cycle and you say, but this, and they're like, well, no,
0: but this. Uh, no, you know, at some point you're like, hello, you've got to mm-hmm. stop, you know? Well, and, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when you usually realize that you're not having an argument about logic. You're having an emotional argument. And then my question changes to what is scaring you about mm-hmm. making this transition, right? For someone who says, I really want to start exercising and you give them all of these options and they just strike down every single one. Then, uh, then after two or three of those, I'm like, what's scaring you about the idea of starting an exercise program or perhaps like, you know, moving your body in a healthy way. And that's a whole different conversation.
1: Oh, for sure. Or, or like, what need is your bad habit fulfilling? Yeah, that's for sure. That I, yep. Tony Robbins, you know, fulfilling a need or whatever is is what I often see. It may yeah. be the thing that they need to do that's scaring them. It's, it's the sick, crazy comfort we're getting from the really destructive behavior.
0: Yep, for sure. But you can't win an emotional argument with logic. That's for sure.
1: That's true. Very true.
0: Um, so,
1: did we beat that dead horse? <laughs> <laughs> I don't you know, know. I'm I glad. So much. I think say. we
0: did. I yeah. think we probably could do a whole other podcast on that idea. But I, it's so. I'm so glad that we had this discussion both on Instagram and here because I really think it you know, some people are so quick, especially on social to like not read the entire thing and make their, and of course you're only applying your own filter to it. And what you see in a post says way more about you than the post itself. But I really liked how that discussion went where like people in your community and my community, like really came together in in the spirit of discussion and understanding and like, it was so cool to watch that thread kind of unravel or, you know, pull together. And for us to be like, Oh, we're actually saying the same thing. And isn't that (laughs) awesome?
1: It's it is, it really is. And I I found that empathy is something that I have had to learn. I don't know. Like I have not always been, I've historically been really quick to be like, well, screw you. I don't, you know, I don't need you, but it's really nice when you just kind of slow down and say, hey, we are saying the same thing here.
0: Yeah, yeah. I've definitely, especially on social media, I've learned to give people the benefit of the doubt. I've learned that often what comes across as like rudeness or shortness is either fear or misunderstanding or sometimes a simple lack of understanding of internet etiquette, as my (laughs) audience... No, but I know you laugh, but as my audience grows and more and more oh, people like my mom are on Instagram, like my mom doesn't know how this stuff works. She doesn't know typing in all caps is rude or, you know, so I've learned to give people the benefit of the doubt and like 99 times out of a hundred, it's the right, it was the right thing to do.
1: Yeah. So what about haters? What do you do? Because everyone I talk to that has a large social media following I always asks this question and I think it's really yeah. interesting the different. Methods that high profile people on social media take with their haters and trolls. What do you do?
0: I don't, this is going to sound crazy. I don't really have them.
1: Oh, that's good.
0: Not on the Melissa Hartwig, not on my personal page. I know on Whole 30, sometimes we get people who, you know, either don't understand or don't like it. And I think I go back all the time to this idea. I wrote about it extensively. It's called The Lesson of the Lamp. And it's basically kind of to boil it down, it basically says like two people could look at the same lamp and have two very different opinions. That lamp is beautiful. That lamp is hideous. And that says nothing about the lamp, right? Mm -hmm. It just says like how these people are choosing to experience this. And so if people come onto my page and they, and I'm not for them for whatever reason, they don't agree with my sense of humor. They think I'm too risque. They think it's silly that Kinds of things that I share like that's just their lamp and that's fine and like maybe I'm not for you and I'm okay with that you know there are very few things I I don't tolerate at all on my page if you swear if you know a lot of f-bombs or crude content if you because I run a family-friendly show if you're rude to another one of my community members like you don't get to be mean to someone else in my house but it happens so infrequently like I just don't have that
1: I think that's a great testament to you I, and, and what you've built because when you're putting out just exceptional content and you've built amazing programs you attract amazing people and
0: so I think maybe, that, that's what, <laughs> maybe I appreciate you're super
1: it lucky and your lamp is great
0: <laughs> I don't know it could be maybe it's just maybe I do have haters and I'm just not choosing to see it and I'm just saying like well you know if that's how you're choosing to experience me the other thing though is that I'm very responsive to criticism if it's framed mm-hmm. respectfully. And I will often I'll put stuff up and I'll get three or four people who really don't like it and they're sharing their opinion why and they're doing it in a respectful manner and like I listen, I engage, I respond. Sometimes I'll change my opinion or take down a post entirely if I do the work on it and discover they're right. So I also think that goes a long way in keeping your community focused on the positive. Like, I'm not ignoring or deleting or blocking people who are saying things that don't align with my perspective or my worldview. I'm engaging and listening and respecting. And I honestly think that's one thing that everyone can do to form a community that's way more open and positive and engaged. Like, you can't just ignore the stuff you don't like.
1: Right, right, true. So let's start back with your story a little bit. Um, It kind of started... With addiction, which is really interesting to me, because I don't know if you know, I'm a recovering drinker. Booze was Mm -hmm. my drug of choice. And I think it's really interesting how addiction plays and, you know, with food and emotions and all of that. So let's talk a little bit about your background and how you became this fitness and health guru.
0: So it did start with addiction. Um, I was not, I have not always been a health conscious person from, uh, in college, I started using drugs and probably used for about five years. I didn't have a drug of choice, which I know is unusual, but I kind of just did whatever I could get my hands on. Um, I went in pretty, pretty deep and pretty hard. And when I got out of rehab, I went went into rehab, got clean, was clean for a year, went back to it because I think it's really, really, I don't know of anybody, I think, who just like gets clean once. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I went back to it the second time, I managed to kind of pull myself out of it after a short period of time. When I got clean finally, which was just about 18 years ago, I knew intuitively that in order to stay clean, I would have to change everything about my life. I changed who I hung out with. I changed where I hung out. I went back and got rid of music and I got rid of clothing. And, you know, I went really, really far down that path to re kind of reimagine myself as a healthy person with healthy habits. And a big part of my recovery was spent in the gym. I decided that a healthy person with healthy habits would exercise and I'd never (laughs) exercised regularly before in my life. So I started going to the gym every morning at 5 a.m. I met a group of women there who were really into running and being at the gym, and they became my new friends. Uh, I would run with them every morning. We'd do 5Ks and 10Ks on the weekend. And so that was really the start of my kind of health and fitness career was coming from this place of profound unhealth Mm -hmm. and kind of really turning things around from there.
1: So how did you get out of the dark place? I know so many people struggle – with taking that first step out of whatever the darkness is, whether it's addiction or, or or a bad relationship, like what was it that triggered you to seek help? And how did you know you had had enough?
0: I had an ultimatum from my boyfriend at the time who I was living with, who didn't, I was a very functional addict. And even the people closest to me didn't realize how much I was using and that I was using like 24 seven And when the wheels finally started to fall off my bus, he put up with it for a few months. And then one night kind of gave me an ultimatum. Like, you need help. It is beyond what I can do for you. Go into a facility. Like, I will check you in tonight or I'm leaving because I was really putting him through hell. But I think, and I think a lot of people talk about that rock bottom and kind of having that moment where they realize that, like, they're as low as they could go and something has to change. And I think in that moment, I didn't have a very good connection to God. I wasn't particularly faithful or spiritual, but I did have a moment where I just gave it up and said, like, what I'm doing is not working. I'm going to die. Mm-hmm. And I really feel like it was divine intervention at that point.
1: I sort of felt, had that moment too. I didn't hit a rock bottom per se, but there was just this sense that I was going to die. Yeah, I had That same thing. It's just, okay, if I don't change this, something very bad is going to happen. So mm-hmm. what happened with the, the exercise and the food and and how did you sort of get on the trajectory to whole 30?
0: So for a while exercise replaced my drug addiction and I was at the gym all the time, sometimes twice a day, three hours at a time and I really over exercised. But that modulated itself very quickly, which I'm grateful for. Um, And it just became part of a new healthy lifestyle. Once I was training and running, I knew I needed to eat a little healthier. So I started diving into like a body for life nutrition plan. Oh, I tried that
1: one time. Yeah. (laughs) I tried everything one time.
0: (laughs) It's a decent entry level where you're eating, you know, at least I was eating more whole food. I was paying attention more to what I was eating. It was a good segue, and then I discovered CrossFit, and then I discovered the zone diet and the paleo diet, and it was all just kind of a a progression from there, but it wasn't until I did this 30-day self-experiment that was to become the very first Whole30 that I realized all of the ways that I was using food the way I used to use drugs. I never had, if you had asked me what my relationship with food was, I would have been like, I don't know, I eat food because I, I exercise and I need it. But until I had this like moment of self-experiment, I didn't understand how much drugs and food were basically like the same in terms of the psychological response and some of the societal kind of implications of overusing or using them in the wrong way.
1: So for anyone that doesn't know what Whole30 is, I don't know anyone who can't know at this point, but let's break it down. Like give the 30 second elevator pitch of what Whole30 is.
0: So you can think of Whole30 like pushing the reset button with your health, your habits, and your relationship with food. So every diet and nutrition expert says, you know, there is no one size fits all. You have to figure out what works for you in terms of your diet. And people are like, yes, I understand that, cool. How do I figure out what works for me? And Whole30 is the answer to that how. It's a 30-day self-experiment designed to teach you how food impacts you. So that after the experiment, you can then make educated, informed decisions about what the perfect sustainable diet for you looks like. Okay,
1: that's good. (laughs) You've done that a few times. I can tell. I have. (laughs) (laughs) One thing that was interesting to me about the program was no beans. Right? No beans. Yeah. And and every time I think back on that, I'm like, I don't get it. And then I eat beans
0: and lentils and I go, oh, I know why. (laughs) Mm. So (laughs) the- (laughs) part of the 30, the 30 day experiment is essentially eliminating foods that the scientific literature and our clinical experience have shown are really commonly problematic to varying degrees across a broad range of people. And I don't know how problematic or if they're going to be problematic for you. Right. And neither will you until you do the eliminate and reintroduce. So legumes in particular, we pull out on the whole 30 for a couple reasons. They can mess with blood sugar. If you overeat, digestive distress is kind of the most common culprit with legumes. So pull them out for 30 days. At the end of the 30 days, you reintroduce them and then you get to decide whether they work for you.
1: So the book, it starts with food that came out at what, about 2012, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so before that you had been kind of sharing the program, correct?
0: Yes, we had been my co-founder and I were traveling all across the country, speaking three weekends a month for two or three years at a time about the Whole 30 program and our basic nutrition kind of foundation.
1: And so, what was what was the impact of the book? Did was that the main best selling book, or was it later the Whole 30 book?
0: It was much. It was the Whole 30 when that came out in 2015. Okay, um, but you know we were talking to 100 or 150 people at a time every time we do these seminars and we release the book and now we can reach like millions of people, hundreds of thousands of people with our message. And that was really instrumental in helping us grow the program and share the program. It provided an all-in-one resource for people who wanted to do the whole 30 or learn more about why we eliminate certain foods or why we eat certain foods. But after that book came out, the feedback was unanimous. We love it. We get why you eliminate certain foods. You described me to a T. I want to do the Whole30. How do I do the program? And so the Whole30 book was the follow-up, and that was all of the practical application. It was like diving into absolutely specifically how to complete this 30-day program.
1: So what are some of the greatest results that you've seen? And I don't just mean weight loss or, or anything in that realm, but life-changing life, life changing life changes from people that have gone through Whole30? What are some of the most remarkable stories or or tales that you've heard?
0: I mean, there are so many, and I'm not even – weight loss like wouldn't even have occurred to me to talk about. Wow. It's amazing. People feel out of control with their food more than any other element or aspect of their life. This is what I've discovered. And when you finally feel like you have – built new healthy habits and restored a healthy emotional relationship with food. There is no area of your life that that will not have a positive impact on. So I could talk about all of the testimonials I've received from, you know, parents whose children had, you know, ADD and behavioral intention disorders and, you know, doctors who wanted to put them on meds and they did the whole 30 and it's like they have a brand new kid and a new lease on life Or I could talk about, you know, these incredible, Um, doctors using Whole30 with their patients who are no longer diabetic and no longer pre-diabetic and no longer have the markers for rheumatoid arthritis, like all of these awesome things that our doctors and RDs are doing with the program. But I also hear from people who say, I finally left my boyfriend who was verbally abusing me for years. I finally quit my job, which I hated and was like making me unhealthy and stressed. I'm cooking more with my family. I went back to school. We have Whole30 approved partners like Simon Hall who created an entire business and became entrepreneurs based on their Whole30 experience and their desire to serve the Whole30 community and share this message. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, the testimony is not necessarily what you would expect from a, quote, diet program, but it it just goes so far beyond food. It's not really about food.
1: That's the key. But you
0: said it starts with food, (laughs) but it's not really about food. (laughs) It does. It starts with food. It really does. And, And whether you're talking about basic health or restoring a healthy emotional relationship or gaining self-confidence or self-efficacy. It really does start with food, but it certainly doesn't end there.
1: So why do we emotionally eat? And I'll give you an example of a really great emotional eating story. Um, Happened to me, happens to me all the time. So I was, I'm on a great trajectory, headed to the beach this last weekend. And I find myself just eating ice cream every single night. And I like ice cream. Ice cream is also a big trigger food for me. I don't do dairy dairy doesn't like me and I do it anyway and I know it's happening it's like I'm hovering above my body Mm -hmm. doing this and I and I'm on vacation and I feel like I've got more control over that than I had say five years ago but why do we still do it even when we recognize we are emotionally eating like what is the deal I'm
0: so mad at myself today (laughs) Well, it, it, there are so many reasons. Um we have these emotional attachments to food that go all the way back to childhood. Oh. If you were rewarded for eating your vegetables with dessert, if every time your parents fought, your dad bought you an ice cream cone, if, you know, your parents went swung swung so far the other way that you felt like you had to hide your kind of like candy or cookies from them, like all of these things i think in some way go back to childhood we don't learn other ways to cope or talk about our feelings there are you know people in our lives with whom the only way we know to share or give or receive love is through food so our moms taught us that like instead of having hard conversations we just sit around and you know make a pie together it's also the the result of the food that we're eating. Like in a way, it's not your fault because the foods that we're consuming in today's modern world are super stimulating. They're more salty, fatty, sugary than we'd ever find in nature. And they literally like hook our brains and our brains get stuck in this kind of habit, reward, pleasure loop where the more we overconsume the more it changes our habits and it, and it affects our pleasure and we it releases opioids, but then we feel stress and guilt and shame. And then that kind of promotes more cravings and more overconsumption with these, what we call food with no breaks. So there are so many reasons why we eat our feelings in part because it's hard to break out of that cycle, given the foods that we're eating. And in part because food is so quick and easy and societally accepted as a numbing mechanism that we don't often take the time or have any structure to learn other ways to comfort, relieve anxiety or self-soothe or reward ourselves.
1: Yeah. I mean, and that was, it was so funny because the first night we had ice cream and I was okay. But the next night I thought, where's the ice cream? Yeah. <laughs> and the third yeah. night, and then the kids were like, where's the ice cream? And I'm like, oh no, little minions, they're, <laughs> they're yeah. doing it too. It's so, but how how do you help people kind of break that cycle? I know what I do now mentally. I just have like a conversation with myself. Like this is not someone has inhabited your body and they're you're back to an ice cream eating machine and you just need to let them de-inhabit and you need to come back. Like that's what I say to myself. What do you help? What do you help people kind of pull out to dig out of that cycle?
0: You really have to do a whole 30 as a reset to dig out of that cycle. If you've never done a whole 30 you aren't going to have anything to fall back on you're going to say okay well i shouldn't be eating all this ice cream but you're going to not ha- you're not going to have the experience of being able to judge whether it's worth it or not because you don't actually know how ice cream affects you and you're not going to have the experience of learning how to self soothe or reward yourself in over this 30-day period where ice cream isn't an option and you're not going to reset your taste bloods or your blood sugar regulation or your hormonal balance or your digestion, like taking that 30-day break as a true reset is what kicks you off that cycle. And it's a very structured approach, it's a very rigid approach, but it's also an approach with so much support, community support, resource support, emotional support, psychological support. Honestly, that's what you need to break that cycle. And if it sounds like I could be talking about kicking drugs or kicking alcohol, it's because psychologically and emotionally for a lot of people, it's the same process. You need a little bit of like a rehab or a detox to kick you out of this cycle. And then we're going to give you all the tools and resources you need to create a life that doesn't revolve around numbing your feelings with food.
1: Right. So it essentially gives you the tools for how to handle the life stresses where we normally fall back on the ice cream.
0: Yes, (laughs) yes. And it, it really teaches you a whole new language around food, too. And that's another important piece is so much of our understanding of food and our relationship with food is grounded in diet culture, where certain foods are good and certain foods are bad. And you're good when you eat a certain way and you're bad when you eat a certain way and you restrict and deprive and willpower and then treat yourself without thinking about what you're eating or the consequences. And it's this all or nothing yo-yo approach. And so what the Whole30 and Food Freedom also does is teaches you a new language around food so that you're not stuck in this dichotomy of food as good or bad or, or any even morality attached to food or attached to you when you eat food.
1: So what are you've got two new books out that are actually two books that came out last year that. Are, yeah. And this is what your fifth and sixth book. Yes. Wow. Yes.
0: Wow. Yeah. Lots of resources.
1: Lots of resources. So let's talk about the two books.
0: So Whole30 Day by Day is the culmination of years of research. What does someone experience when they go through a Whole30 program? What does their day one look like? What does it feel like? What do they struggle with? What are they excited about? What do they need to help them through day two? And so what we've done is taken all of this research, and I'm talking about you know, guiding people through the program personally and asking questions and answering questions. Based on all this research, I know basically exactly what you're going through on any given day of the Whole30. And we've taken all of that and distilled it down into a handbook, a companion guide to the Whole30 program, which is kind of part tips and hacks and motivation and support and part guided reflection to keep you more connected to the program. So you'll get six pages for every single day Of your whole thirty to help keep you accountable, to keep you motivated, to help you um, plan for the coming week, to help you track your progress. That's what day by day is all about. Very cool.
1: So, what are your workouts of choice now? I mean, you used to do all sorts. You did CrossFit, which I'm I'm just started CrossFit a few months ago. I'm obsessed with it. I can do none of the pull ups, (laughs) none of the things, but I'm, I'm. I love it so much. But what are what are you doing right now as far as workouts? What do you like to do?
0: Um, I don't. There's. I don't know what you'd call what I do. I do a little bit of basically everything at this point. I have more than a decade of fitness experience. I used to own a CrossFit gym. I'm an RKC certified kettlebell instructor. I've got tons of you know CrossFit certifications, old probably expired by now. But I, and I've had access to train with some of the best and brightest. You know, minds in the fitness world. Everyone from Mike Bergner to Jeff Tucker with gymnastics to Dutch Lowy with powerlifting. I know Mike Bergner. That's a he's part. one of my favorites.
1: I used Coach to be B. an Olympic weightlifter, so yeah. back in the day, he taught the junior squad yeah. camp out in Colorado. So I know him.
0: Yeah, I <laughs> learned world. to snatch in his garage. He taught me how to snatch in his That's garage awesome. gym. Like we go way back. So, because of all of this, and because I have so much experience, I now just kind of do what I. I it's very intuitive. I do what I want to do. Um, I don't have a set program or schedule. I do my own thing. There's a lot of yoga. There's a lot of gymnastics. There's still some power lifting. Um, there's a lot of body weight conditioning. I hike a ton, so I'm outside a lot, moving, you know, climbing very steep mountains at elevation. Um, so it's, just, it's very intuitive, like a big mishmash of things, whatever makes me happy, whatever I feel like doing, whatever I feel like my body needs on that day.
1: What advice do you have to someone who's just kind of trying to dig themselves out of this health hole that they maybe a bad health hole like as far as moving their body what what is the advice you give
0: honestly if you are in this place where you feel like you need to make some changes and you're sort of like you don't even know where to start I honestly always recommend people start with food. Your brain only has the capacity to focus on one big picture goal at a time. So if you try to change your diet and start a gym program and start meditating, like no wonder New Year's resolutions are bound to fail when you make like 10 at once. I think bang for your buck, improving your diet with a program like the Whole30, pushing that reset button will give you so much more progress and reward and self-confidence and self-efficacy and results than starting an exercise program. So if you only have capacity to change one thing, Mm -hmm. do the whole 30. And what inevitably ends up happening is people do the whole 30 and by their second or third week, they're like, I feel so good. I have more energy. I'm sleeping better. I'm more self-confident. What else can I do? And they start moving their body on their own. And that's really, I think, the ideal progression. Right.
1: So motherhood. Let's talk about motherhood. (laughs)
0: Hardest yeah. thing you've
1: ever done? Easiest thing you've ever got done? Discuss. <laughs>
0: uh, I have one five-year-old. I only have him half-time, so I'm uh-huh. only like a half-time, full-time mom. But I'm single-momming during the the weeks that I have him. Um, it, you know, for all of the times that I thought about parenting or like even talked to my friends who had kids and maybe offered them some gentle advice, I just want to smack myself because. <laughs> I mean, I remember before I had him saying, like, well, it'll be so easy. Like, I'll just work while he naps. And, you know, it's certainly hard. It's certainly rewarding. It's like its own new animal. But it's taught me uh, patience. I have just discovered a well of patience in myself that I did not know I had. Um, it makes me see things through a whole new set of eyes, which is fantastic. It teaches you to put someone other than yourself first, which is probably a lesson I could have stand I could have stood to learn um, and, and we have a blast and I, I love being his mom. It's great.
1: So it's a fun age. Five is fun. I I feel like my kids are nine and ten and they are these little humans now. I feel like the baby stage, I just was like having an alien around. Yeah. And then five was cool because they start to do funny things. But now that they're, you know, little people, <clears throat> it's really cool. I, I yeah. dig it a lot.
0: Absolutely. I like him so. I like the older he gets, the more I like him yeah. for sure. Because it, it's not like I'm lugging him around now. He gets to decide what we do with our weekends and what we do for dinner and what we do for our days. And so that's really fun.
1: Yeah, it's cool to see their personalities start to emerge too. I get little glimpses of, oh my gosh, you just look 24 and that's terrifying. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Well, one more question for you. So this, as you know, podcast is called the same 24 hours and it comes from the idea that we all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do for ourselves in those 24 hours that makes us the best version of ourselves that leads to our greater health, happiness, and success. So what is something that you, Melissa Hartwig, do on a daily basis that you think makes your 24 hours great?
0: Um, The obvious thing would be to talk about my fitness, but I'm not. I'm going to talk about the fact that I read a book, a piece of a book, every single day at some point. Every single day, I am reading anywhere from five minutes to a half an hour. Every day, I make time for this. And to me, it just feels like such a simple indulgence. I love reading books so much. I would rather read a book than watch a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've just figured out how to carve this time into my day. I do it every night before I fall asleep and or before I go to bed or wrap up for bed. Um, and I just find it such a simple indulgent thing it's just for me it's not for anybody else I'm not sharing this with anybody else I'm not participating with anyone else and for me it just feels like such a a quiet time a downtime something that fills my cup that's just for me um that's something that I've implemented that I've been doing I mean for gosh decades now that I I love and I wouldn't give up for anything
1: well, Melissa, thank you so much for your time and for responding on Instagram so we could have this conversation. And I wish you the best of luck with everything coming up. And thank you again for your work. It's really Oh, wonderful. it
0: was my pleasure. I could say the same thing. Thanks for encouraging and inspiring people to find um, some some motivation in their 24 hours.
1: All right. Thanks, lady. Take care.
0: You too.